Chapter Five of Half Past Bedtime. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kamna. Half Past Bedtime by Henry Bashford. Beardy Ned. Near Uncle Joe's house, there was a small pool which was really the beginning of a river and this river ran into a bigger one that flowed through the town in which mary ann and cuthbert lived the big river was rather muddy but the little one was nearly always clear and it was quite easy to paddle across it though there were some pools in it six feet deep up in the downs where it began it was hardly more than a bubbly trickle but lower down it grew wider and wider and ran between the reeds at the edges of the meadows close to captain jeremy's farmhouse where it joined the big river that flowed through the town it ran for almost a quarter of a mile through the middle of a sort of wood it was under the roots of some of these trees as they pushed through the water into the soil beneath that the biggest of the trout had their nests where fishermen with flies couldn't reach them but there were some big trout too that lived under the meadow banks and used to put up their noses in the summer evenings and suck down the flies that fell on the water when they were tired of dancing in the air cuthbert and marianne and doris and gwendolen were all very fond of this river and when they had finished paddling or bathing in the pools for they all had learned to swim they used to lie on the bank and keep very still and watch the trout having their evening meal they would see an orange-coloured fly or a blue fly or a fly with pale wings like a distant rain cloud floating down on the top of the water and probably wondering where it had got to and then they would hear a little noise like grown-up people make with the tips of their tongues against the roofs of their mouths and then the fly would be gone and there would be a tiny wave on the water shaped like a ring and growing bigger and bigger that meant that a trout had been lying in wait with his eye cocked on the surface of the stream and had seen the fly and liked the look of him and suddenly decided to swallow him up sometimes a fisherman would come quietly along and kneel down on one knee and after he had seen a trout rise would open a little box and take out a fly like the one that the trout had eaten but this would be a sham fly made of feathers and silk cunningly tied around a sharp hook and he would thread it onto a piece of gut so thin that they could hardly see it then he would tie the gut to a sort of string that was hanging down from the point of his fishing rod and then he would swish his rod until the fly flew out straight and fell upon the stream just as the real one had done sometimes they could see a trout come up and look at his fly and shake his head and go down again but once or twice they had seen a big trout rise and swallow it as if it had been a real one then the trout had found himself caught and they had seen the fisherman's rod bent almost double as the trout dashed to and fro and at last they had seen the fisherman slip a net into the water and lift the trout on to the bank all curved and shining but very often there would be no fishermen at all and they would see nobody for hours and hours and hear nothing but the cries of the river birds and the suck suck of the feeding trout 
The man that they saw most often was a man called Beardy Ned, because though he was only a youngish man, he had a sandy-coloured beard, and they were always very sorry for him, because he had lost his wife in a terrible railway accident soon after he had married her. She had left him with a little girl, only ten months old, and that was why Ned had let his beard grow. He hadn't time, he said, to look after the little girl and shave his face every day as well. When he had married, Ned had been a postman, but after his wife had been killed, he had given that up, and he had wandered about ever since, doing all sorts of odd jobs. Sometimes he helped the farmers get their hay in, or the gamekeepers trap stoats, and sometimes he would chop wood, and sometimes he would go far away and not come back for weeks and weeks. But wherever he went, he would take his little girl, whom he called Liz after her mother, and sooner or later he would always come back to this river, because that was where he had first met his dead wife. He had lived so much in the open air that his skin was as dark as a red Indian's, and when he laughed his teeth were like snow, and his eyes like the sea on a sunny day. People like clergymen and large employers often used to tell him that he ought to settle down, but why should he settle down, he asked, so long as there was only Liz, and she could sleep in his arms as snug as snug. Liz was four years old now, and as brown as her father, and her hair was short and curly like a boy's, and Cuthbert and Marianne and Doris and Gwendolen loved her almost as much as they loved Beardy Ned. For Beardy Ned, in spite of his great trouble, was always full of a secret happiness, and he had made this little song out of his own head that he used to sing every two or three hours. The wickedest girl there was, the wickedest girl there is, the wickedest girl there will ever be, is my young daughter Liz. He only meant it in fun, of course, and when Liz was running about, he would shout it at the top of his voice, but when she was sleepy, he would only croon it until her eyelids began to drop. Of course Cuthbert couldn't always be bothered to go up the river with the girls, and on the same evening that Uncle Joe told Marianne about the apples, he went by himself to have a bathe in a big pool called Kingfisher Pool. It was still only May, so that the water was cold, but the air above it was warm and still, and he was lying on the bank without anything on, when he suddenly heard a splash and a gurgling cry. He sat bolt upright, and then, looking across the pool, he saw a little form struggling in the deep water, and rolling over in it, head downward, and then beginning to slip out of sight. It was Liz, with all her clothes on. She had evidently slipped down the steep bank, and if Cuthbert couldn't save her, she would be sure to drown, because Beardy Ned was nowhere in sight. It was so awful to see her that at first Cuthbert couldn't move. But a moment later he was in the water, and swimming across the pool as fast as he could, and faster than he had ever swum before. He prayed to God that he might be in time. The pool had never looked so wide, but at last he had swum across it and made a grab at a piece of Liz's frock, just under the surface. He pulled this hard and tried to go on swimming with his other arm and both legs, and then it was only a second or two before his toes touched the bottom of the river, and he was able to stand up and lift her out of the pool. She was quite pale, and the water was pouring from her mouth, and her eyes were staring as if they couldn't see anything. He scrambled up the bank, grazing his knees, and then she began to choke and take deep breaths. 
Just then, too, Beardy Ned came crashing through the reeds with great strides, for Cuthbert had shouted as loud as he could just before he plunged into the pool. Ned's face had turned grey, and there was a look in his eyes that made Cuthbert feel almost frightened. But when he saw Liz sitting up and crying, he gave a shout and caught her in his arms. Then he gripped Cuthbert by the wrist, and Cuthbert could feel that he was shaking all over. And then Beardy Ned began to cry too, so that Cuthbert had to look the other way. But next moment both he and Liz were laughing, and Cuthbert swam back again to put on his clothes, and then he crossed the river upon a plank lower down, where he found Beardy Ned and Liz waiting for him. Beardy Ned took him by the shoulder. Come along, he said, and have supper with us. He was carrying Liz, and sticking out of one of his pockets, Cuthbert could see the tails of a brace of trout, and presently they came to a bend of the stream where the bank was high and there was a little beach. From the top of the bank a great tree had fallen, with its roots sticking up in the air, and under the trunk there was just enough room for Beardy Ned and Liz to sleep. He had put a couple of blankets there and an old waterproof, and standing on the beach were a cup and kettle, and soon he had made fire with some dry sticks and was showing Cuthbert how to cook trout. It was beginning to get dark now, and the stars were shining, and the flames of the fire made the river look like ink. But they were so sheltered under the high bank that they might almost have been at home. They had trout for supper, and drank tea, and Liz, who was almost asleep, had a cup of milk, and then they ate biscuits and jam out of a pot, and Beardy Ned filled his pipe. He had made Liz take off her wet clothes, of course, and these were hanging from sticks on either side of the fire, and he had wrapped her in a blanket, and soon she was fast asleep, lying on his knees as he sat and smoked. He seemed to be thinking a lot, but at last he looked at Cuthbert. You saved my little girl's life, he said, and I can never pay you back, but I'll show you a secret that no one else in the whole world knows. Cuthbert liked secrets, so he was rather pleased. But Beardy Ned changed the subject. It was just here, he said, just where we're sitting, that I first saw my Liz, I mean her mother. Perhaps in a manner of speaking, it was where I first saw this one too, but that's neither here or there. She was just nineteen. She'd been paddling in the stream. I called out to her and she turned and looked at me. She was in an old frock, but she looked quite the lady. Her eyes were dark and she was smiling. He moved his head a little. There goes a fox, he said. He sucked his pipe for a moment in silence. The sound of the fire was like somebody talking to them, but the sound of the river was like something talking to itself. Then Beardy Ned felt in his pocket and pulled out the end of a candle. It looked like an ordinary candle, with an ordinary wick, and it was just about an inch long. This was given me, he said, by an old fellow, James Parkins, that was his name, and there's not another like it in the whole world, and there never won't be again. Beardy Ned held it in the palm of his hand, as though he were weighing it, while he looked at Cuthbert. Have you ever wondered, he said, where candles goes to, where they goes to when they goes out? No, I don't think so, said Cuthbert. Where do they go to? Liz stirred a little, and Beardy Ned bent over her. Well, I'll tell you, he said. They goes into the in-between land, the place as is in between everything you can see. How do I know? Because I've been there. Because James Parkins showed me how. That's very interesting, said Cuthbert politely, but Beardy Ned didn't seem to hear. The trouble is, you see, Beardy Ned continued, that candles, when they goes out, 
can't take people with them but james parkins he'd found a candle that could take a person with it and this is the candle when he first gave it to me two years ago it was about eight inches long but i've used it a lot and after you've blowed it out and it's taken you with it it goes on burning when you come back it's an inch shorter an inch shorter every time and this here bit is the last bit as'll ever take any one to in between land he gave it to cuthbert do you want to go there he said you saved my little girl's life and you've only to say the word but it's the last bit said cuthbert never mind i know what's there that's the chief thing is it quite safe asked cuthbert it seems rather queer i'll tell you what it's like said beardy ned it's like a dream or rather it's not like a dream so much as waking up from a dream you see the trees and things all kind of misty and the houses in the towns and the people in the houses and you see some quarrelling and the like and grieving and you want to tell him as it's only a dream you want to tell him they're just going to wake up that's what it seems like in in between land liz stirred again and he shifted her on his knees a little you see in a matter of speaking he went on there ain't no time there not as we reckons time but once you've been there well you'll see for yourself if you'd like to go cuthbert held out the candle yes i'd like to he said it would be rather exciting beardy ned bent forward and took a stick from the fire he lit the end of the candle between cuthbert's fingers now blow it out he said and you'll go out with it it'll be all right you'll be back in a tick cuthbert's hand was shaking a little but he blew out the candle and then for a moment he saw nothing at all but he felt something he felt as if he'd been asleep for ever and ever and had suddenly opened his eyes he felt as if he could do anything he was so strong he felt as if he could jump over the highest star toothache and school and taking medicine they all seemed to stupid even to bother about he felt like a prisoner just set free he knew that he was really free and that nothing could ever hurt him then he began to see things the fire of sticks the stream beyond and the dusky meadows but they looked just like dream sticks and a dream fire and they were real things beyond them whose names he didn't know then he looked round and saw beardy ned with liz upon his knees and it was just then that he saw something else that was perhaps the most wonderful thing of all for beside beardy ned stood a girl of nineteen who had been paddling in the stream she was in an old frock but she looked quite the lady and her eyes were dark and she was smiling then she was gone the candle had burnt away cuthbert was back again in the ordinary world he saw beardy ned looking at him gravely now he know he said why i am happy cuthbert rose to his feet i must be going home he said they'll be wondering where i've been beardy ned nodded well good night he said good night said cuthbert he climbed the bank but on the top of the bank he turned around for a moment and looked down again at beardy ned he was still sitting there with liz on his knees and cuthbert saw him stoop and give her a kiss then he began to sing very softly the queer song that he had made up the wickedest girl there was the wickedest girl there is the wickedest girl there ever will be is my young daughter liz in between the things we know touch and handle taste and see lies the land where lovers go and at their lives end quietly there in that untroubled place there with eyes amused they scan cradled still in time and space this the infant world of man end of beardy ned